All of God's promises are what? Yes and amen. Yes and amen. They're coming, right? It's happening. Maybe not as quickly as we want or how we want it or when we want it. He's the king of kings. He's not Burger King, right? <laughs> but isn't it always so much better when he does fulfill his word in your lives? It's always at just the right time in a way so much better than you would have done it. I mean, he's just that good and that faithful, right? So we're just trusting in him. We're pressing into him. We're leaning on him. He will have his way. He still reigns sovereign overall, right? All right, so this time we release the kids back to Children's Church. And um, Becky, could you shout out a prayer for them? Amen, yeah. All right, rest of us, we're going to continue um, diving in here to some pretty good stuff. Last week, we started a new message series, All In, right? Hold nothing back from the Lord. We're challenged to be all in for Jesus because you know what? He held nothing back for you. He was all in for you, right? The Father not even sparing his own son for our sake, for our benefit. We were reminded to apply that huge but tiny little word, commit, right? Oh, I did it again. Fonts will get you every time. Anyways, commit. <laughs> it, was, it was an accident, yeah. On my computer, the screen's wider, so yeah, sorry. Anyways, um, but as we commit to being all in for Jesus this year, we may need to do that, as we learned last week, by just simplifying just living a simpler life. The Word of God teaches us that there is great gain in just being content with what you have. Godliness plus contentment equals great gain. Godliness plus contentment, great gain. And the Word came forth this morning reminding me of that too. And, oh man, do we need to do that. We need to do that more and more. We need to, uh, what we do is we, we eliminate less important things in our lives so that we have time and resources to spend on the more important things in life, the more valuable things that really matter. This morning we're going to be learning about another way that we could be all in for Jesus. Um, this is definitely a challenge for me. Um, I'm sure it's going to be a, a word that's a little bit of a challenge for you too, but it's a good one. Um, because there may be things, and I'm believing in most of our lives right now, there are things in your life that you just feel like giving up on. Enough is enough. I just can't keep doing this. You know, you've tr tried so many times over and over again, and you just see nothing happening as a result. You just feel like you're wasting your time, like you're beating the air, and just when's something going to give? When's something going to break? You know, how many times do I have to do this over and over? Uh, things that, man, <laughs> you wake up, and before your feet even hit the ground, you're already burdened and weighed down and weary from it. I believe that there are things that we are carrying um, in our lives in this way. You've tried so many times and it just isn't working. If that's you, another way that God is calling us to be all in for him this morning is to do it again. I'm sorry. Yeah, if you're feeling like that, I'm, I'm behind here in my things, to do it again. It can be one of the hardest things that you are asked to do in life. 
is to do it again. You see this in something as simple as sports, you know? You've tried making that foul shot and you're hitting one out of 20. And the coach says, do it again. And the coach says, do it again. You're running a lap and you're about ready to puke. And the coach says, what? Run it again. You know, bench press that one more time. Why? Because nothing is going to happen until you are at your end and you do it again. You know where you start building muscle and weightlifting? It's after all those easy reps and you're like, <laughs> you know, and you're shaking and you're giving it everything you got. That is where growth is happening. And God cares far too much about you for you to give up just a few yards before the finish line, to give up just before your breakthrough. And so this is going to be a hard word this morning. He's challenging us to do it again. And it reminds me of this encounter that the apostles had. This is um, Peter, James, and John that they had with Jesus. If you want to get ahead of me, it's in Luke chapter 5. You're probably familiar with it, though. And it says, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake, uh, well, the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, who he's also called Peter. That's what we know him as most commonly. And he asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and he taught people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deeper water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But, and what are buts in the Bible? Buts are big in the Bible. But, because you say so, we'll do it again. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners to the other boat to come in to help them. They came, and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Now, I've caught some pretty big bass and walleye out here on the lake, but I can't imagine having a boat so full of fish that it begins to sink. I mean, that, that's craziness. And it says, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees. And he said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to fish for people. So they pulled up their boats onto shore. They left everything. And they followed him. They were all in for Jesus. They were business partners in a pretty good business of that day. They put their boats on shore, left it all behind, and started following Jesus. Now, sometimes it's easy to read through this and to not really fully grasp and understand, you know, what was happening here. But you may have caught it because you may be there and feeling it. But Peter, James, and John, they were tired. They weren't just tired. They were sick and tired. You know, I mean, I don't know. I, I've gone up to Erie before, and I've fished for the weekend, and you're up there, and the wind's beating on you, and you're fighting, you know, the rain and the snow and everything. And when you catch nothing, 
I don't think you could ever be more tired, you know, than after something like that. You're, you're tired and you're frustrated. Like emotionally, physically, you're just worn out, you're beat. They just finished up a night shift, right? They were fishermen by trade. They had just finished up yet another fruitless night shift. And they, not only that, they just finished up from cleaning up after, putting all their tools away, cleaning off their nets and everything. Then along comes this rabbi that's just preaching the word of God. And honestly, I can't help but see this. It seems like Jesus is a little bit selfish, he steps on their boat, and he's like, um, <clears throat> take me out a little bit, you know? And what does he do? He sits down in the boat and keeps preaching. It's like he just ignores the condition that these men are in. It's like he doesn't care. I mean, that's what it looks like at first, you know? I mean, he doesn't, from what we read, he doesn't even have a conversation with them. He just tells them what to do. Because he's a rabbi in the Jewish culture, they do it. So they, they revere them. They, he even called him master, you know? Um, and so they did what he asked them to do. I'm sure they weren't very happy about it. These are fishermen. I'm sure they weren't saying some very nice words about Jesus, you know, to each other while he's preaching, you know? It's like, this is you know? I'm, I'm sure it was not pretty. There's a reason that Peter repented as badly as he did, right? I'm sure he just said some pretty nasty things about Jesus to his uh, fishing buddies. Um, you know, he, he chose their boat as a pulpit and start preaching. And he, he sat down and it just, I don't know, I, don't, I just don't get it. Then when he finally finished preaching, the guys were probably like, oh, God, this guy's good long-winded, you know. Finally, our nice warm bed, like I can feel it. I'm ready for it. And what does Jesus say? Go way out there to the deep water. <laughs> Come on. Night shift is hard. Have you ever done night shift and then you had to work a double the next day because somebody called off and you, you're not happy in that moment, right? And that's exactly what Jesus just said. We're going to do it again. We're going to work another shift. You go out to deep waters and let down your nets. And of course they protested it, you know, they weren't having it. But when Jesus says, do it again, it doesn't matter how you're feeling about it, do it again. Do it again. Because when we obey Jesus, when we do what he asks us to do, there's always blessing in it. Even when we don't feel like doing it. Especially, I want to say this, especially when you don't feel like doing it. When there is not an ounce in your mind, in your emotions, in your physical body. When you are at your end and you can't do it again and he asks you to do it again, do it again. Because that's where something's going to break. That's where something's going to give. That's where breakthrough exists. In fact, this blessing that they received is so abundant that it nearly sunk their two boats because of that catch. This was clearly an uncommon miracle. This didn't happen every day in their lives because Peter fell to the knees of Jesus and repented of all of his sin and committed his life to following him. So when we commit ourselves to be all in for Jesus, there are times when he simply calls us to do it again. You've talked to that person so many times. You've prayed for healing so many times. You've gone to so many different doctors about this, that, and the other thing. You've gone to so many counseling trying to break free from this depression. You've tried pouring every ounce of funds you have into, you know, that thing, and it just never took off. Or, you, you know, that person. Whatever it is that he's asking you to do, if he says do it again, do it again. Just because you don't see anything happening right now, do it again. I kind of picture it like this massive, um, you know, treasure cove that's buried inside of this thick rock structure. You know, I love shows like that. I, I like to catch like Gold Rush and, you know, the, um, the, 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 the island that they're on. Yeah. Yeah, Oak Island, you know, and now they're on their own treasure quest. I love stuff like that. I just, 
even though they find a little bit of parchment, it's annoying after nine seasons, you know. Still, I can't stop doing watching it. Because what if? What if? What if I miss an episode and that's when they strike gold, you know? But I picture that in our lives. Like, there's this treasure chest that the Lord has buried, and he hasn't buried it from you. Don't you feel that way sometimes? You're weary, you're worn out. It's like, why is he making me work so hard for this? Salvation's a free gift. An inheritance, you don't have to work for that. I'm a child of God. But then what did Paul say? He had to work out his salvation, right? He had to work out his salvation, even though it was a free gift of salvation. You know, it's just like that Jim said. I've been given a free gift, and I literally have been. It's in our basement. I've been given a free gift of this exercise machine with all these weights. I'm still chubby, and I'm not very muscular. I was given the free gift, but... It is fruitless unless you put it to work, unless you work it, right? Your salvation is a free gift, but it requires you to do a little work, right? This, this, this treasure cove is buried for you, not from you. And it's for your own good and benefit that you do some work to earn it, right? Think about the promised land of Israel. Jesus, God wasn't putting huge enemies in that land to keep the land from the Israelites, he said why he put them there, those massive people. Why? To work the land so that it would be fruitful when they enter it. They were just placeholders. It was never theirs. They were occupying until the rightful heirs came to inherit it, right? It's no different for you. Man, your, your, your breakthrough could be one swing of the hammer away in this cave. You could be one swing away, so don't give up. Do it again. You could be that close to breakthrough. In fact, I've found that when, when you're closest to breakthrough, that's when it seems to be hardest. It's when you're at your end. But that's when we need to press through and just do it again. You may be that close from receiving the abundance that Jesus has promised. So don't stop short. Do it again, right? Um, you may feel like you've been plowing and watering. And, 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 and casting out rocks and pulling out weeds and toiling and toiling and toiling. And you see nothing happening. You question whether those seeds you planted even exist or whether they just bounced off a hard rock, right? But there is stuff happening in the unseen realms. God is at work doing the most transformation and growth when you see nothing happening, because we know what's happening in that field, don't we? There are roots that are growing, and they're growing wide, and they're growing deep. But what do we see happening? Nothing. I'm wasting my time on a chunk of dirt. There's nothing happening in this place. It's barren. It's, it's fruitless. But if you don't give up, and you keep pulling out those weeds, because that seems to be the only thing growing, and you keep casting out those rocks, and you keep watering, and you keep fertilizing. What's going to happen if you don't give up and you don't grow weary? You're going to reap a harvest, aren't you? At just the right time. At just the right time. So do it again. God is working behind the scenes even when you don't see it. So just do it again. God's word wouldn't need to warn us so many times to not grow weary and to not give up. Trust me, he tells you that many, 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 many times. And he gives you life examples. This is what happened to the generation of Israelites who gave up and who whined and moaned and complained about it instead of doing something about it. What happened to them? They got nothing. 
This is a generation that, that rose up and they did something about it. They didn't whine and complain. They had faith. What happened for them? They received it. You know, he gives us all these examples over and over and over again. But he wouldn't have to tell us that if we weren't going to be tempted to do it, to give up on him. Let's be honest. Following Jesus is not easy. I'm a pastor and I've thought about giving it up. Like, am I just wasting my life? Am I wasting my time? I mean, is anything really happening? You know, we all have those questions and those doubts. But the key is, you're like... Take that thought captive. That ain't from God. That's from the enemy. Get rid of it, right? And, and focus on what he's doing because he's doing something behind the scenes. Your reward is doing nothing but growing. And your reward is coming soon. That's what Jesus said. Behold, I come soon. And what does he bring with him? His reward. Not his wrath and punishment and all those things. That's for, you know, those who don't believe in him. For us who believe in Christ, his reward is coming. Reward is coming. So do it again. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time. It's just a matter of trusting him and his timing. We will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You see, he has a harvest. It's a free gift. He's giving it to you. He's growing it. He's doing everything to bring it about. But what do you need to do? Don't give up if we do not give up. Don't become weary, because the proper time's coming. The harvest is coming. In Hebrews 12, 3, consider him, and it's referring to Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and will not lose heart. Think about it. I mean, he had everything stacked against him, and yet he didn't give up. He kept doing what God was calling him to do, and look at what he received. The entire kingdom, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. Why? Because when the Father asked him to do it again, he did it again. He did it again. I love this. Um, right after the showdown between the Lord, and you can get ahead of me if you want to, 1 Kings 18. Most of you are familiar with it. I'm not going to read through the uh, scriptures. But there's this showdown between the Lord and Baal, these two gods, right, over the hearts of, uh, of God's people. And, of course, the Lord proved himself to be the one true living God. And we find this experience of Elijah recorded after this. Um, but, by the way, in that encounter, I love this because, you know, they, the Baals, they did everything that they could, you know, the prophets of Baal to, to call down fire and just nothing happened. And Elijah kept kind of teasing them and they tried all these things. Then Elijah rebuilt the altar of the Lord. Trust me, there's some things that need to be rebuilt in this time and in this season, right? If the Lord allows something to be torn down in your life, if he allows something to be stolen away from you, let him rebuild it. Let him be the foundation. But he built this altar from wood to the Lord. And then he had the prophets of Baal soak it in water. And then what did Elijah tell those prophets of Baal to do? Do it again. So a second time, they brought this water and they soaked the wooden altar in water. And then what did, what did Elijah ask the prophets of Baal to do? Do it again. A third time, they soaked it. And what happened when the Lord came? He not only licked up all that water, he burnt the, the, the wood, he burnt the stone. He, he, he just took it all, all of it. What happened as a result of all of that? The Lord proved himself to be faithful and true. The Lord is building up a testimony in your life that will be undeniably him and not you. Him and not somebody else. Him because he was the only way that that could ever have happened. It's only him. So you're a testimony in the making. Your testimony is coming. Don't give up on him short of it, right? So here we see this happen. So after all that happens, he's successful. He's slaughtering all these people, you know. 
Then this happens in verse 41. It says, Then Elijah said to Ahab, He said, Go eat and drink, for there is a sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink. But Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times, Elijah said, do it again. Seven times, Elijah tells his servant. It's so easy to miss what happened here, but think about this. What actually literally happened? Elijah heard a sound. He heard the promise of God. We know in the New Testament that it had not rained for three and a half years because what did Elijah do? Prayed. Elijah prayed, a man just like us. He prayed, and there was not rain for three and a half years in the land. You want to talk about drought? That's a drought. So he heard the promise of God because he told Ahab, there's a sound. He heard the promise. He shared the promise with the king. He shared the promise. He said, it's coming. It's coming. So he heard it. He shared it. Because he heard it in the spiritual realm before, and he shared it in the natural realm before it ever actually happened. Then he fervently, he fell down, his head between his knees, and he's praying, and he's praying for that promise of God that he heard in the spiritual realm to be manifest in the physical realm, right? Then he watched for it as he prayed. The promise of God didn't come. He heard the sound of this rainstorm coming, but he didn't see it coming. And so what did he do? He did it again. And he did it again, 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 until the seventh time, right? The seventh time the servant reported in verse 34, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising up from the sea. I wouldn't call that a mighty torrential downpour, right? Uh, the size of my hand, I don't even know how the servant saw it, rising up from the sea, right? It's not even really a cloud. It's like a little poof of smoke or steam, you know. I mean, it's fog. But Elijah knew what that indicated. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. It's how heavy it's going to downpour. In verse 45, meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose. A heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rose off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. He outran a horse and a chariot, the king's horse and chariot. This is like the top dog, well, top horse, you know, <laughs> in the nation. He outran him because the power of the Lord was on him. But think about that. What promise have you heard, but you haven't seen it happen yet? What promise are you waiting for? It's time to bring that back to the forefront of your minds. What is it that your heart longs for? God has promised it, and you still haven't received it. It's time to hope again. It's time to have faith again. It's time to start sharing it with other people. It's time to get on our face and pray for it and to, to come, and then to watch for it to come. Even though you've done it before and nothing seemed to happen, it's time to do it again. Jesus taught this parable. Um, about this kind of persistent prayer and not giving up, right? Luke chapter 18 says, Then Jesus told him a parable to show them that they should always pray and never give up. Jesus taught us to do what? Oh, yep. Always pray, never give up. Always pray, never give up. Always pray, never give up. 
And so when it doesn't happen, do it again. And when you pray and nothing seems to happen, do it again. And when you pray and nothing seems to happen, do it again. Why? Because Jesus said in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. You know any judges in this nation that don't fear God could care less what people think? Anybody know of any of those? You probably name them all by names in this nation, right? Doesn't matter. Who can change the heart? The Lord alone. He's able to turn the hearts of man. Sometimes even hardens them. As in Pharaoh's. Why? People get too comfortable. God's people get way too comfortable, don't they? They were living a good life in Egypt. Was Egypt the promised land? Was Egypt where their destination was? No. Were they leaving Egypt? Mm-mm. You know what God had to do to get them get their butts moving back on track to where they're supposed to be? Had to harden Pharaoh's heart. Had to make their lives miserable. Was that God's intent and heart and desire for them? No. But is that what it took? Yeah. <laughs> Don't be like the Israelites. Don't be so comfortable in life that God has to make you miserable before you start seeking after him and actually doing what he called you to do, right? There's a promise for all of us. Don't grow weary and give up. So this judge, he didn't care what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who just kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. Is that not a good plea, a righteous plea? You're calling on a judge to serve justice. That's their entire purpose, is to serve justice. This poor widow just keeps crying out to him. And the Lord, and it said for some time he refused. But he finally said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, it was his own comfort that was at uh, charge here. Not only that, he said, I will see that she gets justice so she won't eventually come and attack me. Right? You see any attacks happen this week at all? I'm not, uh, they broke my heart. I'm not saying that they were good, but, you know, a, a people can only take stuff for so long. They can only handle injustice and unrighteousness, right, for so long before something snaps and something gives. This judge was afraid this tiny little widow was going to attack him. I mean, it was that fear that caused him to do the right thing, right, to do the right thing. And the Lord says, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones, the ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you. He will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Jesus is saying, this is faith. Not that you receive every promise right when you ask for it. Great faith is believing in the promise through the impossible. The greatest people on the face of the earth, Hebrews chapter 11, read their testimonies. Most of the people in that list died without receiving the promise of God here on the earth. But they did receive the promise, didn't they? Spoiled kids. I've seen so many of God's promises just happen in my life, right? Haven't we all? We've seen him provide. I mean, we are just spoiled kids. It isn't good that we have such a good, good father. This is faith. Always pray, never give up. Do it again, do it again, do it again. You've heard that a rainstorm is coming. You prayed for it to come. You've went out and you've looked for it, but you saw nothing. Just do it again because the rain of the Lord is coming. 
Are we looking for it? Are we praying for it? Are we hungry for it? Are we thirsty for it? The move of the Spirit is coming. We've heard this prophesied over and over and over again in this nation that revival is coming. It's a shame it has to come to the church first, right? Because <laughs> we're dead. We're not doing what we're supposed to do. But it's going to come. It's going to happen. And it's going to be powerful. Do it again. And you can be a part of that, right? Stop living by sight and live by faith. Stop, start seeing and hearing what is happening in the spiritual realms. And then God is trusting you to bring it here in the physical. Here on earth, even as it is in heaven, right? So you've heard that. You've heard it. So do it again. Do it again. Listen. Share. Pray, seek, and then do it again, right? Listen, share, pray, seek. That's what Elijah did. And because Elijah did that over and over and over again, even when he saw nothing happen, he saw something happen, didn't he? Huge. Now, there are way too many examples from cover to cover in the scriptures where God's people had to do something multiple times before breakthrough came. I think of people like the, the woman with the issue of blood that she tried everything for, what was it, 17 years, I think, before she finally received her healing. The, 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 the man that went out by the pool of Bethsaida, he was crippled from birth. He went out to that pool how many times, expecting the angelic host to bring healing to him because that's where they would come and stir up the waters and people would get healed when the angels stirred up the waters. And he went there year after year after year. I think, he was I think it was 39 years is what Jesus says. He went there day after day after day seeking out his healing, and it took him that long to receive it. But did he receive it? Yeah. The people were like, well, was it uh, his sin or was it his parents' sin that he was uh, crippled from birth? Whose fault is it? You know, Whose fault is it? Isn't that what our nation wants to do, the blame game? Jesus is like, it, it, was, it was so I could be glorified. It, it wasn't anybody's sin. It was nobody's fault. It just was what it was because I had something to do, right? So when things are happening in your life, don't look to blame. Look for God. What are you going to do through this? Not my fault, your fault, their fault, our fault. Blame fault. You know what I always say in those situations? Blame me. Okay, it's my fault. It's all my fault. Okay, so now what are we going to do? Okay, let's get over that. Because <laughs> most people spend their entire lives playing the blame game and nothing ever happens as a result. You know, blame it on whoever and let's move forward from here. Let's, let's get on with it, right? We've got stuff to do. We need to do it again. Too many examples. I'm not going to go through them all. We're going to end with a very well-known one, though, and you'll find it here in Joshua chapter 5. The nation of Israel had been given a pretty awesome promise about the land that God was saving for them, right? I talked about it earlier. One flowing with milk and honey. They even saw it with their own eyes. They tasted of its goodness with their own lips, but their fear and their doubt kept them out of it. The people were too big. They're too scary, right? The ten people came back and said that. Joshua and Caleb said, no, let's do it. It's, the Lord's given it to us, right? So what happened? An entire generation had to die off. So everybody keeps saying, I miss the good old days. Well, the good old days is what brought us here. So I'm not looking to the good old days. I'm no, I know I'm only 37, and I didn't live in those good old days. But I saw what they did, and I, I'm ready for a new day. I'm ready for something new. I want, I'm ready to do what the Lord's calling us to do here and now. right? I don't care what happened before or what's coming. I, just, I, I, want, I want us to get in line and in step with what the Lord's calling us to do here and now because that's where success is, right? Because you want to, I can guarantee, I, I could just hear people sitting around the campfire, that Israelite generation. I remember when Moses was our leader, and oh, you remember that battle, yeah, you know, and, what did God have to do with that generation? Kill them off. He had to literally physically kill them because they weren't going to do it. They were too busy living in the good old days to enter into the promise, you know? So God had to kill them off. 
But he raised up a generation. Moses, you know, man, he, not even Moses. Moses would leave the tent of the meeting. What would Joshua do? He'd stay there in the presence of God. He would just hang out with God long after Moses left. Moses is like, okay, let's just get things done. Joshua's like, I like hanging out with you. You know, what generation are we going to be? Are we going to really enjoy the presence of God and value it, regardless of what happens in my life? Just enjoy being with him, you know, because that's what God is looking for. Heart fully, all in, committed to him. All right, so Joshua's generation rose up. They won battle after battle after battle, and they were ready to do it again. They'd eaten manna for decades. Every morning, except for the Sabbath, they woke up and they ate manna, right? And they were ready to eat it again. They celebrated the Passover year after year after year, remembering the salvation and the deliverance of God, and they were ready here to do it again. Joshua chapter 5, verse 9, it says, And then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. That's a way more powerful word than we could ever imagine, because they were living in the shadow of Egypt for many decades, living in the shadow of that, of the greatness of the things that God did to deliver them, and then he destroyed them in the desert land, you know? I mean, it was just it was a challenging time for them. So God's like, all right, enough is enough. Today, I've rolled off that reproach. And I believe the Lord is saying that for you. Today, the past is gone. I'm doing something new. You need to see it. You need to get on board with it. Yesterday's yesterday. It's gone. It's past. I'm, I'm, I'm getting rid of all that shame, all that condemnation, all of that, whatever. He's rolled away that reproach. So it says, the place has been called Gilgal to this day, which means to roll away. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal, the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very same day, they ate some of the produce of the land, the unleavened bread and roasted grain. And on that day, the manna stopped. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites. That year, they ate the produce of Canaan. There was a shift in the season that they were in. It was time to stop being infant babies, relying on the milk that God provided them every day. It was time to start eating what they worked hard to grow. They earned their salvation. They worked out their salvation. They didn't earn it. Sorry, I should never use that phrase. They didn't earn their salvation, right? They just started working it. So verse 13, it said, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him, which had to be kind of terrifying to even do. He doesn't know this guy from Adam, right, literally. He goes up to this guy with a sword drawn, and he's like, uh, uh, excuse me, <laughs> excuse me, buddy. Hey, um, are, are you for us or are you for our enemy? He's like, he was probably kind of staying a distance, like, are you for us or are you for them? Are, are, are you... With Jericho, are you spying out after us, or, or, or are you with us? Are you going to help us fight, you know, um, Jericho? In verse 14, this is powerful. Neither one of you, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. It was time. It was time. And it wasn't just the Israelites that had to do something. God sent a spiritual army ready to do something, ready to make something happen. 
And I'm telling you, this is something that, that, that the church here in America needs to kind of wake up to, this reality, you know? I mean, I get so frustrated. I'm more conservative in my own views, you know, and everything, but it, it's, it's time to stop with the, what did Jesus say a nation divided would do? Fall. Why do we keep dividing our nation then? Why are we so into this? You know, I'm going to make you look bad. I'm going to make us look good. Well, you, in all honesty, I'm ashamed of people in my own party. There's wrong on every side of the fence. But as God's people, we need to be more like this commander of the army of the Lord of like, I'm not for you or for you. I'm for truth. I'm for justice. I'm for righteousness. I'm for the Lord. I'm for the Lord. I'm for the things of God. And whoever stands on the side of God, that's who I'm standing with. doesn't matter, you know, what, what affiliation or whatever's going on. All this petty bickering and things, it isn't, it isn't doing anything, you know. Who cares what majority is in which house? I mean, if they're all corrupt and whatever, then you, you've got, you know, all this nasty stuff going on anyways. The Lord hasn't sent his angelic host to serve a political party. He has sent his angelic host to serve us, the children of God. And to bring his word to pass. He has come to stand on the side of the Lord, not on either political party. Jesus, he didn't take political sides, right? He didn't play politics even though that's what people were following him to do. They thought he was going to establish the, the, the rule. They thought he was going to kick Rome you know, out of there and establish Israel as the true nation that God created it to be. To stand for Jewish sovereignty, right? To, and to kick out that Roman rule. But his focus instead was on the one true kingdom. Even when he stood before Pontius Pilate, and, and he's like, they're saying you're a king. And he's like, well, I am. He never denied his kingship. But he said, my kingdom is not of this world. None of this is my kingdom. Even those people that say they're my priests and rabbis and, and my, you know, the people that preach my word, they're not even a part of my kingdom. In fact, there's prostitutes getting into heaven before them. You know? And literally Jesus said all these things. His kingdom was not of this world. If we got in, in line with that kingdom, then we would start winning, right? You want to win, win, win. It's not following a person or a man. It's following Christ. It's standing for the things that he takes a stand for. Because if you take a stand for those things, you're not going to be standing alone, right? You're, you're going to be standing not only with him, but with the angelic host. And who knows what else is going on. You know? So it doesn't matter how many rise up against you. I think about that time when even Elijah's servant was, was terrified because they were surrounded. And the army was so great, they were going to be destroyed. And Elijah's like, open his eyes. And God opened his eyes and he saw this, this army and just chariots of fire everywhere and all that stuff, you know. And he realized there was more for them than were against them. When you're standing for the Lord, you can never lose. You just can't if you don't give up and if you don't grow weary. So it said, then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence. And he asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army said, take off your sandals. The place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. That, that land had been set apart for God's purpose. So in Joshua chapter 6 it says this. Now the gates of Jericho are securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went in and no one, came, no one went out and no one came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I've already delivered Jericho into your hands. Now, if you know anything about history and about the walls of Jericho... If I looked at that town surrounded by those thick walls and high walls and the fact they were sealed up, nobody was going in, no one was coming out, I wouldn't be like, 
yeah, that, you, you, you definitely handed it to us there, Lord. It's, it's all ours. <laughs> what are we going to do? You can't scale those walls. You can't get in. They physically couldn't get in to even fight their enemy. Their enemy was in hiding, right? But God said to Joshua, I've delivered it into your hands. And he, he said this. He said, see, look at it. I've delivered it to you. Think about that. What does that mean in your life? No matter how impossible it looks, if the Lord's promised it to you, he's saying, see, it's yours. I'm giving it to you. No matter how impossible the situation may seem. Not only that, he said, I've delivered not only Jericho into your hands, I've also delivered to you its king and its fighting men. So march around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the trees blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout and the wall of the whole city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. I mean, picture this. So God said, look at this town, I've delivered it to you. And here's the, strat here's, here's the battle strategy. Here's how we're going to win. Get all your men all suited up, your whole army ready to fight. And I want you to go to that town. I want you to walk around at once. And then the next day, I want you to get up, get all suited up, all armed up, and send your army in, and I want you to walk around at once. Six days, do that. And then on the seventh day, right? But he said, I, I want you to, to do this. And I want you to do it again. For six days, do it again. For six days, do it again. But on the seventh day came the shout. The seventh day came the trumpet blast. The seventh day, the walls came crashing down. Why? Because they did it again, and they saw nothing change. Think about how you had to feel. You're the army of the Lord, and God is causing you to walk right around your enemy to what? To see how huge this wall is. To see how impossible your situation is. He wanted you to see just how massive Jericho is. Just how impossible your situation really is. Do you ever feel that way? Like God's just rubbing your nose in it? Like when I was training my puppies to go to the bathroom, and I'm like, no, this doesn't go here, that goes there, you know? <laughs> Megan hates me for it. But anyways, like, do you ever feel that way? Like God, all he's doing is like, Showing you over and over again how impossible this is. Why you should, and what does the enemy do? You should give up. Do you think Jericho was silent while they were marching around? I picture it like VeggieTales pictured it, you know? Kind of like the, the Monty Python, you know, scene. Like, you smell of elderberries, you know? And uh, Sorry, anyways. But, you know, I picture they're probably getting jeered the whole time. Like, How's, it, how's the weather down there, guys? They're probably throwing things at them, like, you know, you losers, you know. I'm sure they were jeering them. These are armies against each other, you know. I highly doubt that they were silent about it. And God has them for six days walk around this impossible situation. It probably started to feel, I don't know if hope was rising or if fear was rising or if doubt was rising. I bet it was all rising up, right? You're wondering, why is God having me do this? But because they did it again when they saw nothing happen, victory came, breakthrough came, deliverance came. So if you feel like you've been walking around the walls of this situation for days and nothing changes and nothing's ever going to change, right? You, on your own, are hopeless to change what's going on. You can't defeat this. 
you're too small, you're too weak, you're too unable. The Lord's calling you just to do it again. Because the battle's not yours. The battle's the Lord's. And the only way to win a battle in the kingdom of God is through obedience. You do what God's calling you to do. And when you see nothing happen, and he tells you to do it again, you do it again, and you do it again. And finally, that's why we call it breakthrough. That's why we call it breakthrough, because you're breaking. Jesus is the breaker. You're breaking, and you're breaking, and you're breaking, and it just feels like nothing's happening, but something gives. And when something gives, it gives. You guys ever work on a car, and you're trying to get that rusty bolt out, and man, you're on it, and you're on it, and me, I, I, I grab a big old pipe, you know, because I don't... Again, I don't use that set very much. So I get this big breaker pipe out, and I'm like pulling on it, and all of a sudden something gives. You know, I've smashed my face that way before. <laughs> and you're like, all right, did I just snap that thing off, or did it finally break free? You know, in the kingdom of God, it always breaks free. Breakthrough comes. And what happens after that, that, that bolt finally gives a little? <laughs> it's easy. It just comes right out, you know? It's that initial breaking that you work so hard for, that you put your everything into, and you're exhausted, and you're sweaty, and you're tired, and, and you're like, I swear, I'm really JCing and praying to you. Just help me with this, you know? <laughs> and, and then finally, breakthrough comes. And then you get to reap the reward of all that labor and toiling. That's what is coming your way this year. God wouldn't bring us this word to do it again if breakthrough wasn't coming near, right? Because God never promised it would be easy. He never promised that it wouldn't hurt. He never said that it wouldn't be a sacrifice, but he promised it would be worth it. That's his promises, his reward. So do you want to be victorious in your battle? Do you want to see breakthrough? Are you ready to experience a powerful encounter with Jesus himself in, in, in the flesh? Then perhaps you just need to do it again do it again. So we're going to end actually with a song of worship. And I'm going to step out in faith here a little bit. Um, man, it just Whatever you need to do. The altars are open. Your chairs are so soft and comfy. I know that throughout this message God has been stirring something in your spirit. Something that you maybe have given up on or something that you're just ready to. I just want to challenge you to give it all to Jesus. He can't fight your battle for you when you're in the way. He won't do it. Why? Because he's going to hurt you in the process. You need to step out of the way between you and your enemy and let Jesus do his work. He's doing something behind the scenes even when you can't see it. Trust him. Trust him to change hearts of the people of that situation that you're dealing with. Trust him to get a hold of them and to do a miraculous transformation in their lives. Whatever it is that you are seeking after, don't give up. Don't grow weary. Just do it again, right? Do it again. So just let this be your anthem, whether you want to sing along or if you just want to just, just soak in the presence of God. Because we know these promises are true, right? That God is faithful. That his promise still stands. And the one who made it, he is faithful and true, right? It's who he is. So breakthrough is coming as long as we don't give up. And if you're weary this morning, and I'm sure you are, it's time to turn to him for our strength, right?
walking around these walls I thought by now they'd fall but you have never failed me yet waiting for change to You have never failed me yet. Yes, and it's not over yet, is it, right? Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You've never failed me yet. Like you have failed him, but I want to encourage you this morning. Nothing could be further from the truth. You are a child of God. It is not over, right? I know the night won't last. Your word will come to pass. And what comes in the morning? What comes in the morning? Joy! Yeah! I know the night won't your joy will come to pass my heart will sing your praise again yes Lord because why Jesus you're still enough keep me within your love my heart will
We look to you alone, Lord. For you alone are the source of our salvation, Lord. You are the source of our deliverance, Lord. The source of our provision, Jesus. You're everything, Lord. Yes, Lord. And we will see your promise come to pass, Lord. We will see your promise fulfilled, Lord, in our days, in our lifetime, Lord. We're not going to stop. We're not going to give up. We're not going to give in, Lord. We're going to do it again, Lord. And when we prayed and when we've sought and when we've prophesied and when we've declared your word, Lord, over this situation, over this relationship, over this person, Lord, we will do it again because your word will break forth, Lord. And when your word breaks the work of the enemy in this situation, your word, Lord, is going to break forth in light. The darkness is going to see a great dawning, Lord. Your light is breaking through these situations, Jesus, because you are coming in. Because your presence, God, is going forth. You are going ahead of us, Lord. You are going behind us, Lord. When we are surrounded, Lord, we're not surrounded by our enemies. We're surrounded by you, Lord. So thank you, Jesus. Open our eyes to see, Lord, what you're doing. Open our eyes to see that, 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 that fire around us, Lord. That there are more who are for us than against us, Jesus. When we feel like giving up, Lord, be our strength. Lord, give us your strength like you gave Elijah, Lord. That we can run and not grow weary. We can walk and not grow faint, Lord. Until we see your goodness before us, Lord. So that all can see who you are and all your fullness and all of your glory, Lord. Let your glory go forth, God. Let the world shout your fame, Lord. Because only you could do these things. Lord, we thank you for those testimonies in the making. Forgive us for growing weary and giving up on you, Lord. But we turn to you again this morning, Lord. We turn to you, Lord. <laughs> and we are so excited. So excited for the breakthrough that is coming, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Whew. Whew. Thank you, Lord. All right, it's yours. It's yes and amen. So go work it!